Well, hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from the global Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. And this is for parents of children with autism, uh, but there is also uh, a lot of information here on natural resources that that can help you with things like what we're going to discuss today uh, being Lyme's disease. Today's episode is another um, guest uh, appearance from Dr. Jody DeShore who I'll give you a little background on her. She was with us in episode two on the comorbid symptoms of autism. So if you've ever wondered why your child might not be getting better, why they might be doing well and then all of a sudden plateau, they just can't get past a certain point in your recovery process, it can often be due to these comorbid symptoms, which include mold biotoxins and what we're talking about today, Lyme's disease and parasites, et cetera. And so what we want to do is uh, there's so much information behind Lyme and its connection to autism, and it's so, so important to know this, that we're going to do a two-part episode. So today's going to be part one, which is on transmission, how you can get it, the symptoms, and some testing. Then we're going to do part two on October 16th, and Dr. DeShore will be back with us then as well, and that will be on, the second segment will be on uh, intricacies and treatment, natural treatment that you can uh, do as well for it. So um, I'm going to give you a a brief uh, introduction for Dr. DeShore in case you have not been in with us before when she's been a guest. Uh, Dr. DeShore is an internationally recognized pioneering clinician in the all-natural plant-based treatment of autism, Lyme's disease, mold biotoxin illness, PANS and PANDAS, which is streptococcal infections, nutrigenomics, and autoimmune illness. She works with children and adults in over 27 countries around the world. Dr. DeShore is a board-certified doctor of occupational therapy, neurology, with a postdoctoral specialization in neurosensory. She is board-certified as a holistic health practitioner and board-certified in integrative pediatrics. Her past training abroad includes specialization in pediatric neurology and multiple naturopathic disciplines in Bombay, the UK, and the USA. Dr. DeShore is currently pursuing her PhD and board certification in integrative medicine with a special interest in quantum physics. And she's the founder and director of BioNexus Health Clinic in Marlboro, New Jersey, a center dedicated to plant-based and all-natural treatment methods. Now, as usual, I want to uh, let you know that in case you're driving or you listen to us while you're on your morning walk or on your morning run, uh, can't get a pen um, uh, or paper handy, I will link to everything that we will discuss in this episode at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash Lyme, and that's L-Y-M-E. So that can be where you can get the links to anything we discuss um, later on after the show is over as well. Um, Welcome, Dr. Deshore, and thank you so much for being here with us again. We really appreciate your time. Dr. Deshore, are you there? Yes. Can you you hear me? Yes, I can now. <laughs> Hello? Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> I need to speak up. Well, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me again. Good to speak with you again. Yeah, you have so much beneficial information, especially these comorbid symptoms of autism that I think many, many parents, at least I found in my work, are really not quite aware of how many children have these comorbid symptoms and that they can be a strong reason why their child might not be getting better. Okay. So. 
Can you um, give the you know our listeners some more information about uh, basically Lyme disease, like how it's transmit, transmitted, and why it's important with children with autism? Yes, definitely. Um, you mentioned comorbid. You mentioned mold biotoxin that we spoke about. Uh, you and I spoke episode two, I believe, and we spoke about mold biotoxin in uh, in uh, episode seven of this program, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, I believe that's one thing, right? I think it was episode seven. Yeah. You know, uh, in 2016, when I first spoke at Autism One in Chicago, um, I was uh, uh, the first one to link mold biotoxin illness with autism that I was seeing in my practice. And of course, as you know, um, I I have a personal connection uh, when it comes to my son, who is now fully recovered, just like your son is. now, one of the, the hardest things that, that we went through was when, when my son ended up in a wheelchair was with Lyme disease and how difficult it was to diagnose, to understand, to find a physician to understand. And uh, once we did, after one and a half years of extreme hardship, um, with excruciating pain, not being able to walk, barely functional, uh, I, I, I was carrying my son on my back up and down the stairs. He, uh, he was in so much pain, he could barely turn in bed, and he was only in second grade. It was um, unimaginable for any child to go through that. Uh, you know, what ensued was massive immune deficiency. Uh, if on the days that he could go to school, he would have to wear a mask, you know, and then there's teasing and bullying, and it was just uh, horrendous. But on the other side, the light at the end of the tunnel was once we treated all of these comorbid symptoms and mold and biotoxin, I mean, there was, there's no sign left of any Asperger's or autism or any spectrum issues. So that is what we, we need to um, understand. And I completely agree with you is that there are so many uh, parents who don't realize that there are a, a lot of factors that go into autism. Sometimes... It could be other infections in the brain that are mimicking autism. So, you know, one of the things that, that I've learned as, um, uh, as I became uh, Lyme literate almost 10 years ago is that Lyme is known as a great imitator. You know, my uh, wonderful mentors, Dr. Charles Ray Jones, Dr. Joe Jemsek, absolute pioneers in, in, in the treatment of children uh, and adults with, with Lyme, um, this, you know, it was invaluable information that not only helped my family to heal as well as, um, you know, I've, I've been able to help, uh, help so many around the globe. Uh, you know, we, it is important to learn about Lyme disease uh, or, and other tick-borne illnesses. Uh, one needs to recognize the scope of the epidemic. It is important to identify the children with Lyme disease, especially the ones that have also been uh, you know, some of them are accurately diagnosed with autism, but there are many that are uh, inaccurately diagnosed with autism when there is underlying um, brain inflammation from all of these different comorbid things that that uh, come about in these children. So it, it's, it's important to understand. Um, now, Lyme disease and associated co-infections, these are the fastest growing vector-borne diseases in the U.S. I mean, more than 300,000 a year. That is, that is a, a, a staggering number. 
I mean, it's not all autistic children, obviously, but it's more than 300,000 uh, people a year. And uh, it's debated that, that, and it's also not debated, it's um, speculated that the number is a whole lot more because many don't go to conventional doctors, you know, many go to natural doctors who are not required to report it to the CDC, et cetera. So the, the, the number may be um, staggeringly higher even than 300,000. Many of us live in highly endemic areas. You know, they say that New Jersey, New York has a very high rate of autism. So that is a, a very interesting connection there. Um, you know, and uh, as you mentioned, many infected children are going unrecognized, untreated, or misdiagnosed. Um, and most children who are treated are generally undertreated because there isn't adequate information out there. Right. We're going to um, take a short right? break. We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I think it's important to get into a little bit of what symptoms parents can look for, but then again, the testing. This is really, really important because so many tests are inaccurate. So uh, we're going to take a short break. This is Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm Karen Thomas on Bold Brave Media, and we will be right back. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and today's episode is part one of Lyme's disease, and we're, today we're talking about transmission symptoms and testing. And before the break, we were getting into a little bit about how it's transmitted and some symptoms that you can look for um, because uh, Lyme's disease does mimic a lot of other things, but there are some specific symptoms you can look for. But um, I think, first of all, Dr. Short, can you give our audience a little background on you know some of the ways that it is transmitted? Because I, I do know it, it is much more than just tick-borne. It's more than um, what people um, are you know generally hear. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, so they, can you give them some background on, on other things, other ways it can be transmitted as well? Yes. Uh, one of the things that uh, greatly surprised me was when I learned the different ways of transmission. It's not just ticks. It's, of course, and it's not just deer ticks. There are many different kinds of ticks that uh, transmit uh, uh, Lyme disease. Then there is also uh, brown recluse and other spider bites. And there is uh, flea bites, sand flies, sand fleas, horse flies, bed bugs. Um, these are all also some biting mosquitoes. They're all capable of transmitting Lyme disease and its co-infections. And, and, you know, we will be discussing a couple of the most common co-infections seen in, in children. So there, there are, uh, uh, those are the different vectors that are, um, that are, you know, responsible for transmitting. Also ticks can be carried by small mammals, you know, mice and chipmunks and, uh, if you have a lot of vegetation close to your home, uh, those are all risk factors that you have to be aware of, you know, and the obvious risk factors, right? You're, you're living where there's deer or where there's small mammals or if, if you're the outdoorsy type, et cetera. So um, now what, what I'd like to emphasize is if you do find a tick on your child, it's very important, you know, you, you don't, uh, you don't do it the the incorrect way. There are many videos on YouTube as well as a lot of information online how to properly remove a tick. Uh, and there is also a couple of tools that are available at regular pharmacies that are made specifically for tick removal. It is important to use, you know, um, fine tip tweezers to grab the tick as close to the child's or the person's skin surface as possible. So you need to pull upward, you need to pull on the mouth parts of the tick 
not not the tail, not the leg. Don't try to yank them off. Don't try to burn burn them off. So just pull upward with steady, even, gentle pressure. So the mouth parts come out intact. That is where the uh, majority of the toxins reside. You don't want to leave the mouth parts within the skin. And um, you know, so after removing the tick, just make sure that you thoroughly clean the bite area with your hands. Uh, you can use rubbing alcohol. You can use soap and water. Uh, now, that, um, Stephen Buhner actually is a, a famous Lyme herbalist, and uh, he recommends to use the tincture of andrographis herb along with a little bit of clay to put on the tick bite to nullify and or draw out the toxin. So that is one, one clinical tip that I can give your, uh, give your listeners. Uh, it's important that you know that never crush a tick with your fingers. That is, uh, just, just don't uh, do anything that can help the toxins to go further in the child or in the person. Um, now, let's go on to what are some of the signs and symptoms of Lyme disease. I mentioned you know, Lyme is known as the great imitator, but there are also uh, some commonly known uh, signs and symptoms of Lyme disease that, that, that you know, many people out there might know is that uh, bullseye rash, there is that Bell's palsy or a facial paralysis on one side of the face. There is uh, um, some kind of joint issue typically the knee joints that start to hurt or they swell up. Uh, some patients also experience some kind of heart problem. Uh, now, this, this, is, this is not really how it may. It may, it can present in children, but uh, the, you know, it's important to know what are the most common presentations. The one I just said was the public's view of how Lyme disease presents, is that you know, everybody gets a bullseye no only 12% uh, what, what I've seen in my practice, barely 12% uh, remember any kind of a bullseye, uh, you know, actually any kind of a rash. Um, the erythema migrans rash, the EM rash that's known to occur with Lyme, uh, barely 4% get an, any kind of facial paralysis, barely 2% get any kind of joint issues. You know, uh, the most common symptoms that I've seen and I've heard from uh, patients and when I was mentoring is a flu-like illness any time of the year, especially middle of the summer, you know, flu-like illness. Um, lots of fatigue, which is often unrelieved by rest. Then there are numerous you know, neurological and neuropsychiatric symptoms, which can be confused with symptoms of autism. Uh, there's often unexplained fevers. Like I, I had a little boy who would get an unexplained fever every six weeks. Um, in fact, you know what? what's interesting is that less than 50% of the parents remember uh, an, any kind of a tick attachment on their child. So keep in mind, an attachment is not necessary. A tick bite will also give you uh, Lyme disease and co-infections. You know, things like uh, symptoms like abdominal pain, uh, muscle aches and pain, joint pain, a sudden onset of sleep disturbance, uh, you have a child who is going out to play sports and suddenly is, is not able to tolerate that aerobic exercise anymore. Um, then you have a child that's, you know, starting to fall sick very often. 
frequent infections, viral, bacterial, sore throats, ear infections, colds, flu. Um, sometimes children come to me with, with you know, swollen lymph nodes, especially around the neck. They're, they're complaining about neck pain. Uh, and, and these lymph nodes can be neck, armpit, groin, uh, shortness of breath, long-term dry cough, you know, that doesn't seem to go away. Uh, a lot of frequency of urination and urgency. Uh, sometimes there is a sudden onset of urination at night. Uh, lots of rashes coming and going, dark circles under the eyes, uh, red hot ears. So those These are, are all... Some of the symptoms. Yeah, those are all really, really great things for people to know. Um, they're uh, they're so common too, and um, we can talk a little bit too that parents might want to look at these symptoms in themselves even prior to conception, if possible, mm-hmm. because it is trans transferred in utero. Um, we need to take a quick break, and we will come right back, and we will get back into uh, uh, the rest of this with um, some more uh, areas around transmission, what uh, the specifics of of Lyme, and some testing issues. This is naturally recovering autism. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Okay. Hi. Welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. And uh, we have Dr. Jody DeShore with us today, and we've been talking about Lyme's disease, and this is part one of a two-part episode. Today is on transmission, symptoms, and testing. And we, just before the last break, got into a lot of the symptoms that uh, you want to look for uh, in, in yourself or in your children to look for. Uh, what Lyme's disease often will present are the most common symptoms. And those, of course, vary. And because Lyme can also be transmitted in utero, if if mom has Lyme's disease, it will transmit to the baby in utero. So the baby is actually born with Lyme's disease. And this is more common than people realize as well. So I think it's really important now if we get into some of these co-infections and then um, we will get into the testing. But so Dr. Shore, we were talking about Lyme's disease, and then what are some of these co-infections or some other things that can come from the tick bites that um, that you know we were going to talk about? Bartonella, Babesia, some other things. Could you could you talk, could you give us an explanation about that? Uh, yes, of course. Yes, uh, I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's not only Lyme disease that gets transmitted through a tick bite. Or when, when people acquire Lyme disease, usually there are co-infections that come along with it. Uh, number one, it could be because the, the same insect transmitted the co-infection, or it could be, you know, there are some other co-infections that happen because Lyme disease and uh, the other infections transmitted through the insect bite uh, suppress the immune system. You know, they have various immune suppressing mechanisms. Uh, so I'll go into those in, um, in a bit. But you, you just mentioned about uh, Lyme disease being transmitted in utero from mother to child. Uh, that that should be, you know, a, a whole other show. So <laughs> exactly that how important is it to watch yourself d- during pregnancy or understand because simply because autism is such is reaching such epidemic proportions now probably already has reached epidemic proportions uh, in, in certain areas. So that that it would be interesting to go through that because there are typical signs and symptoms in a newborn uh, that can give us clue if there is underlying Lyme and if there's early detection, you know, it it is uh, extremely beneficial for the child. 
um, then you uh, you were speaking about co-infections. Some some of the co-infections that I most commonly see uh, are Bartonella, uh, also Babesia. Then there is something called as Ehrlichia anaplasmosis. Then um, additional co-infections like Mycoplasma pneumonia, Chlamydia pneumonia. Uh, various kinds of high titers of viruses like Epstein-Barr virus, parvovirus, uh, cytomegalovirus. Uh, we have um, um, herpes viruses. These show up as high. Sometimes we see uh, a, a rare infections like rickettsia and brucella. Uh, Toxoplasmosis shows up high as well. And many of these, as I mentioned uh, a minute ago, can be uh, lingering or even acquired because of the immune suppression mechanism that occurs with uh, when you acquire Lyme disease. Um, right. In autism, now, it has immune suppression. I mean, one of the, one of the great mm-hmm. symptoms of autism is immune suppression. Mm-hmm. Now, each one of these diseases, you know, uh, once again, uh, co-infections per se can be a, a whole other show because it's very important to go briefly into each one. But overall, you know, since we are speaking about Lyme disease today, um, with autism, there are certain neurological and psychiatric symptoms, of all in all, you know, neuropsych symptoms that uh, are associated with, um, you know, one of my mentors, uh, I mentioned Dr. Joe Jemsek before, he likes to call it as Lyme borreliosis complex. And the reason for that being is because not only is it a, a complex illness, but because it has all of these co-infections. Uh, almost all of his patients have co-infections. Um, I would say 100% of my patients that have Lyme disease have, uh, have co- uh, co-infections as well. So calling it as Lyme borreliosis complex, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and borrelia being the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. So... Coming back to the neuropsych symptoms, usually one will see uncharacteristic behavior outbursts, the key word being uncharacteristic, because we know that there are certain behaviors typically associated with autism. Then uh, mood disturbances, um, you know, uh, never before seen uh, high levels of irritability, uh, emotional issues, emotional ability, social withdrawal, you know, sometimes children, even those who were interacting with their mom or perhaps a little bit with the siblings, that disappears. Uh, there is decreased participation in activities. Sometimes the child may have rage, anger, depression, anxiety, uh, certain kinds of phobias. You know, uh, you have a child who is comfortable doing something at, uh, and suddenly has massive anxiety. Say, for example, I, I've had a child who, will, who won't step on um, you know, step um, on on his regular playground just just because it, it was just one, one one of the irrational behaviors that that just happened. Uh, an increase in oppositional behaviors. Some children develop obsessive compulsive disorders. Ninety uh, percent of children have an academic deterioration, concentration, attention. They become easily distracted, cannot focus, even more so. Than, than you know, typically uh, associated with uh, with autism. Um, many children d- develop visual problems, headaches. Um, then suddenly you'll see poor balance, poor coordination. You'll see an uh, an increasing of hand flapping behaviors, and that may just be 
because of a peripheral neuropathy. I mean, you, you have children experiencing numbness and tingling um, and, and, you know, feeling of insects crawling under their skin, but the, they cannot express it, so what do they do? They, they start hand flapping and shaking their hand out, and it, it's not just typical autistic hand flapping, but, but uh, it is a peripheral neuropathy um, manifesting itself. Well, I do know from craniosacral therapy, my background, that when I, you see these kids hitting their heads against a wall uh, or a table or anything, you know, a lot of au- children with autism will hit their heads on things, which is you really want to stop them from doing that when they're doing it. But they'll do it. Uh, I've seen their 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 head hurts and they're uh, they're having a they're having headaches and they're a lot of it is because their cranial bones are out of balance and they're doing it as an innate response mm-hmm. to to try and um, you know bring things back to balance or do something about it because they don't know what else to do and they you know so mm-hmm. that's that's all they think to do it's the same sounds like the same thing with this peripheral neuropathy with the the hand flapping type of thing they're, it's just a, a response mechanism that they're they're trying to do something about it we need to take a short break um, when we come back we can kind of get into a little bit more of these, um, the, the Borrelia, the Babesia, the Bartonella. I think these co-infections are important to give maybe a little bit more background on. We need to take, a, again, a short break. This is Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from the Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Stay with us. We will be right back. Well, hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from the Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. And today we have Dr. Jody DeShore with us as an expert on Lyme's disease and the co-infections that go along with them and how important it is for parents to know about these symptoms because they mimic autism. And a lot of the times it also can be a reason why you might be doing all you know a lot of great detoxification and gut healing work and... Um, and you, you find you get to this either a plateau with your child not being able to get past a certain point of recovery, or they're really just not getting better at all, and you don't know why. And these comorbid symptoms, one of them, again, we're talking about today is Lyme's disease, is very, very common in children with autism. So we were talking about some of the, the neuropsychiatric symptoms before the break, and again, they sound a lot like a child with autism, and it's important for parents to look and see if you know you might have some of those symptoms yourself because before conception if you're able to work with Lyme's disease yourself then you won't pass it in utero to your child and some of the co-infections a couple of them um, we, were, we talked about Bartonella and Babesia. They're very common co-infections that come along with Lyme's disease itself. So Dr. Deshore can you give us some of the um, some of the key points about Bartonella and Babesia that would be helpful for parents to know about? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yes, you uh, you mentioned about the neuropsych symptoms. I just uh, real quickly wanted to mention that um, Lyme disease bacteria have been isolated from nearly every body fluid, including the the fluid in the brain or the cerebrospinal fluid. They have been isolated from brain tissue as well. They're able to cross the blood-brain barrier, and that that will make a lot of sense to to you know parents of children with autism because we know. Uh, that there is uh, infection and inflammation happening in the brain. In the last episode, you and I spoke about uncontrolled inflammation happening uh, that can happen in the brain from mold exposure. So just just to put that out there, because when, when we address... Um, uh, when we address treatment in the next segment, then, then we need to be aware that, you know, many, many children uh, will need uh, herbs that can cross the blood-brain barrier, you know, so it goes in the brain and uh, helps them in that way. Uh, it's probably 
Sorry. I was just going to point out that it might be helpful for parents to know that the common treatment is to go and get loaded up with antibiotics. And mm. a lot of the time those antibiotics really aren't going to do the job. They're not going, Lyme will hide inside of parasites. And, and also that, um, that those antibiotics may not be crossing the blood brain barrier, like some of the herbal remedies that you're, you're mentioning. Is, is that correct? There are many antibiotics that, that, that do cross the blood-brain barrier, but what, what I see with children with autism, if they are treated for months and months with antibiotics, that has a devastating effect on, uh, on the already compromised gut. I, I saw this with my own son, and it was, it's, it's just, um, if, it is, if it is avoidable, then that is the way to go. If the infection is so severe and life-threatening, that you have to use antibiotics. Like for us, we were at stage three already, so we didn't really have a choice that for a few months uh, we had to use antibiotics uh, for, uh, for myself as well. But, you know, you need a very skilled practitioner. I always say this in my lectures too, who understands the full 360, you know, autism and Lyme and co-infections and mold and methylation and, um, you know, and minerals and magnesium and electrolytes and uh, nutrients and all of this. Uh, uh, dietary requirements, you know, um, glutamate issues, phenol issues. Uh, our kids are so complex, so you need to choose a, a practitioner that understands uh, the the often delicate links between of these. Yeah, absolutely. And having the foundational aspects in place as mm-hmm. well uh, before beginning mm-hmm. treatment. You don't want to just throw your kid into a heavy detoxification treatment when their liver is already backed up and their lymphatic system is backed up. You need to support these things before before moving forward with, with all of that as well. Um, so you have mm-hmm. um, some, I know we're going to get into in our in our next episode that we'll be doing in a few weeks on you know the specifics of some of the treatments. But um, I know that you have... Uh, found some there are some some herbs that will cross the blood brain barrier and safely get into um, working with with these co-infections uh, Lyme and the co-infections and and Bartonella and Babesia are, are basically just a couple of the the what we kind of call the maybe the top three Lyme Bartonella Babesia uh, Ehrlichia I know is is commonly you commonly hear about that one so you can give us a little bit of background on those three and maybe what they can do what to look for yes uh, speaking of Bartonella, so Bartonella hensley, some of the common symptoms you will see would be unexplained rage, anger, uh, huge temper tantrums, abdominal pain, headaches, visual problems. Um, there is unusual stretch marks that are seen, you know, stretch marks that are purplish, reddish. Uh, as you know, normally stretch marks are pale in color, right? So these are unusually reddish and purplish. It, it's called as violaceous striae. So if you see that, that is a classic hallmark sign of um, underlying Bartonella infection, um, then you will see a lot of uh, uh, sole of the foot pain. You know, you'll have children complaining that, that they have pain at the bottom of their feet. Uh, it's often misdiagnosed as plantar fasciitis. Uh, there can be uh, new onset of seizure disorders. There can be new onset of um, obsessive compulsive disorders with uh, with the Bartonella. Uh, with Babesia, there is uh, you know it, Babesia microti is a malarial-like parasite that lives inside the red blood cells. So cyclical fevers, excessive sweating, night sweating, chills, extreme fatigue, headaches, muscle pains, deep bone pain. 
especially uh, in, in the extremities, the arms and the legs. Uh, difficulty breathing, you, you'll often, you may notice the child taking, a, uh, doing a lot of heavy sighing. Like, yeah, so it, you have the child experiencing a shortness of breath because the, the lungs are affected, there's dry cough, um, often poor balance. So that, that's what comes with Babesia. Wow. Okay. Those are really good uh, symptoms for people to know about. And I'm sure many are thinking, well, my child has many of those. Uh, so, you know, we have to take a short break and uh, we will come right back and we'll, we'll uh, continue with this discussion. This is Karen Thomas at Naturally Recovering Autism and we're live from Bold Brave Media. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And today we are talking about Lyme's disease and the co-infections that go along with it and its relationship to autism and the symptoms that are related to autism. Uh, we were just talking about Bartonella, Babesia, and things like uh, some of the symptoms being rage, anger, um, sweating, chills, difficulty breathing. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of these we see headaches, abdominal pain. We see a lot of these symptoms in our kids. So um, I'm wondering too, should we should we mention a little bit about Ehrlichia and pneumonia um, are they are they some something that we see a lot with Lyme's disease? Correct, Doctor Tashore. Yes, uh, ehrlichiosis comes in. Uh, it's not as common as Bartonella and Babesia that I see in my practice, but it is common enough. A very high fevers, muscle pain, uh, often flu-like symptoms. You know, uh, here. Uh, I usually pick up early kiosis, as you can see, a lot of symptoms overlap, and I usually pick up early kiosis when, um, when we see that, that uh, the lab testing is starting to show low white blood cell count, um, low platelets, increased liver enzymes. In spite of being on Lyme treatment, Bartonella treatment, Babesia, et cetera, uh, this is when um, I'll start to suspect that there might be underlying ehrlichiosis. Now, keep in mind, because of immune suppression caused with Lyme disease, uh, immune evasion, and as you said, you mentioned accurately that Lyme hides. In fact, Lyme exists in four different forms in the body, you know, not just the corkscrew-like bacteria. There is also the, the L form, the blebs, and, and the spore form, and then they can hide inside uh, other bacteria and parasites. So at this point, sometimes once you start seeing these little clues in labs or little change of symptoms, and you, you have a clinician who is knowledgeable enough, then uh, then you can just start treating for early kiosis because it's very important to protect the bone marrow. It's important that you don't let the white cell or the platelet count go, you know, uh, really very low because it's it's not at all uh, good for health at that point. You know, it it, it really tanks your immune system. Uh, the pneumonias, the mycoplasma, the fermentants, yes, those are, uh, mycoplasma pneumonia is, uh, is walking pneumonia. Once again, the IgM titers may not be, uh, may not be available. IgM implies active infection, you know. In fact, there was a, a recent um, uh, research study on PubMed that was released that shows that mycoplasma pneumonia can, in fact, suppress the IgM section of your immune system. So the IgM antibodies uh, rarely show up and the labs will, will come up as IgG, very, very high titers. And uh, you know, if you have a knowledgeable practitioner, that practitioner will understand that this is an uh, active ongoing infection, not a past infection. You know, uh, that's a very common misconception. 
and then your your Lyme literate practitioner will treat your child for mycoplasma as well because mycoplasma pneumonia is a uh, very important co-infection to treat. Would an, would an Iliad's doctor uh, uh, or an Iliad's practitioner know that right offhand? Is that something that they're trained in? And and you can mention what Iliad's is since I, <laughs> I, I have the acronym, yes. but... Yes, ILADS is uh, in the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society. Um, uh, Dr. Jones and Dr. Corson were the ones that um, sponsored my membership to ILADS almost 10 years ago. And yes, uh, those uh, ILADS practitioners, if, if you want to find a Lyme literate practitioner, you can go to ILADS.org. Uh, you can call them. It's an amazing organization, um, very patient-centered, and they have... Uh, fantastic doctors that that understand all of these complicated symptoms that I just uh, spoke to you about. Absolutely. I mean, the the best pediatric Lyme specialist that I know pretty much in the world is Dr. Joseph Jemsek, and he's at Jemsek Specialty Clinic. Um, uh, And he is, uh, he's, of course, allopathic and conventional. uh, And and I have many, many common patients with him uh, internationally that... uh, uh, both of us co-treat. He's very open to integrative. And I will, again, for the listeners, um, I will uh, link to the ILADS on the page at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash Lyme, L-Y-M-E, uh, so that you can um, find that link easily as well, uh, especially if you're driving or walking and don't have a pen. I don't want you to have to worry about that. Um, I will link to it on that page, so you can just go there after the show or when you're ready. Um, so let's talk a little bit about testing and why uh, it's very common that most of the, in most of the testing that it doesn't show up that there is actually these 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 particular infections going on. You'll you'll see the things that you just mentioned, like high IgG things, certain antibodies that the body creates to fight fight these. But or um, can you can you kind of explain a little bit more about why these often don't show up in the common testing? So people then think, well, my test came up negative, so I, I guess I really don't have it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is um, that is a very important point that you just brought up. Uh, studies show that the uh, available Lyme testing, you know, which is most commonly done through the national lab, they don't like people have insurance, they have labs, and, and they go through the lab, uh, that the sensitivity of these tests, sensitivity meaning how well these tests can identify who actually has Lyme disease, uh, that sensitivity can range anywhere from 7% to 80%. It, it, is, it is laughable uh, simply because, I mean, uh, it is, of course, the, 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 the quality of the test as well as the immune suppression that comes from Lyme disease. You know, all of these titers or numbers that you see when you do your lab testing, right, the titers, antibodies, where does this come from? This comes from your immune system. Your immune system makes those antibodies. If you have a weak or, or suppressed or semi-absent immune system, where will they come from? They can't come from anywhere. So that doesn't mean it's, it's negative. It just means that you have a weak immune system. So, and then you have lab testing, which is not, not that great. I mean, the, the accuracy is less than a coin toss. So um, the, the first test that is most commonly used is, is the two-tier testing which the Centers for Disease Control uh, usually recommend. And the, the first step in, in the two-tier test is called like the ELISA. And if that is negative, once again, has negligible sensitivity, but unfortunately, 
the, the adapted procedure right now is that if that is negative, then, then the next test, which is the Western blot, is simply not done. And the Western blot can actually give us more clues because it looks at specific spirochete or Lyme bacteria-related proteins. You know, there are different bands that show up. And even if one band shows up, then you know that you've at least been exposed to Lyme disease. As long as those bands show up, because that's what we want to make sure if, if the immune system, I know, is fighting things that sometimes it won't show up in the test because they're so busy fighting other things that uh, that, that uh, sometimes it, it, everything doesn't show properly. We're going to take a short break and we're going to be right back. This is Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from the Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio and iHeartRadio. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from the Bold Brave Media, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Today we have Dr. Jody Deshore uh, with, as a, with us as a guest, and we've been talking about Lyme's disease. And in this last quick segment before we wrap up the show, we, we, we were talking about some testing, and most importantly for parents to know about false diagnosis and testing. So Dr. Deshore, can you give a little bit more background on that to our listeners before we wrap up? Yes. You know, um, I had my child in a wheelchair and for one and a half years we were testing as to why this poor little second-year-old couldn't walk. And we had 10, Karen, 10 false negatives for Lyme disease. It wasn't that wow. we didn't do due diligence, but so that's, I mean, half the patients that are positive on the Western blot have a negative ELISA, which is the first tier, you know, so ELISA misses half the patients with Lyme disease. Um, and, and many labs will not even proceed beyond that. I mean, Western blot is the most useful test to detect antibodies to Lyme. But unfortunately, the test uh, quality methodology, it varies considerably from lab to lab. And then, you know, pretty much the same thing applies to testing for the co-infections, Bartonella, Babesia, etc. There are many uh, wonderful and uh, more accurate private labs uh, and ilads.org website will give you more information about the private labs. I didn't want to go into all that on, on the radio show, but yes, that there are um, other labs available. But the main thing to keep in mind is even the CDC website tells you that these are these infections are, uh, are a clinical diagnosis. So uh, once again, this is all on the CDC website that do not wait until uh, you're you know, waiting for the lab results to come back, et cetera. If you found a knowledgeable clinician, if, if you, know, you, you are able to connect all the dots, at least start some sort of treatment. You know, don't, don't wait or rely 100% only, um, only on the testing. Um, you know, th there are two standards of care available. One, one is the ILADS guidelines, and then there is the IDSA or the Infectious Disease Society guidelines. And, and, and you know, there is a controversy that uh, most parents can just uh, read about that uh, on their own online. But, um, you know, ILADS has a, 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 an amazing broad spectrum understanding and approach to treating children. And it's important for our listeners to know um, if you if you're seeing those symptoms and you've been trying other things and you're noticing that um, there are some pretty extreme symptoms going on and you feel pretty confident that whether or not your test has been positive, that that's what's going on. As Dr. Deshore is mentioning, you have some safe, reliable ways of treating. You also want to know that you want to 
be sure to do some foundational work with your kids. Make sure that you're giving some liver support, lymphatic support, um, that they're on the right diet. They're not getting any more toxins in their body uh, because you really want to strengthen, again, that foundational aspect so that when they start some treatment, their body's able to handle it. And you want to do that very, very slowly. Our kids, as we know, are much more sensitive than the general public. And Lyme just can make them even that much more sensitive. Um, I do go into this in my Autism Moms Mentoring Program. And if you're interested, I have the link for it on this page for uh, this show as well, naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash Lyme, L-Y-M-E. But uh, do be sure that you uh, have somebody walking you through this and you have some foundational aspects. Dr. Deshore, do you have anything to say before we wrap up? That that was it. I mean, uh, you know, I think we we put out a lot of information there. You know, other than uh, other than prevention and obviously avoiding exposure to ticks and uh, you know using bug sprays, clearing underbush, uh, uh, clearing clear away the underbush around your home, cut back the shrubbery, get the deer out of your yard, spray the yard. You know. Um, Treat domestic animals. If if you have pets, you have to be very careful because pets can bring ticks in, uh, and because they wear protection, we don't. They will be fine, but we end up getting the Lyme disease if if any of the ticks fall, you know, on the carpet and they're hard to see or. Right. So we're going to come back with part two of this. Dr. Deshore is going to be joining us again in a few weeks on October 16th. Uh, come back and listen to uh, the show when we talk more about uh, the, the intricacies of, of treatment and some natural treatment options as well. So um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, this is Karen Thomas at Naturally Recovering Autism live at Bold Brave Media. Thank you for being here. Um, and thank you, Dr. Deshore, for, for joining us and, and sharing with us as well. And we will see you all next week. Next week.